0: Today, I'm going to do something I've never done before, and I'm going to dedicate this sermon to Debbie's memory and to her family. And I believe that you will all understand why when it's all said and done. So let's go ahead and get into the Word this morning. If you go into any bookstore nowadays, you will find vast amounts of printed material on how to be successful. And of course, we all have different ideas of what success looks like, but these self-help books provide uh, essential characteristics and traits that you need to follow if being successful is your goal in life. And one of the reoccurring themes that that comes through loud and clear on these books uh, about uh, successful people is that all successful people have a, a clear purpose. They have a compelling reason to get out of bed in the morning And it is that purpose that that is deep inside of them that keeps them on track. And it's ultimately what drives them towards success. Well, as we continue today in our series from the book of Philippians that we have titled Live Strong, I have to say that by the standard set forth in these books about success, it becomes apparent to me that the Apostle Paul might be considered the most successful person who ever lived outside, of course, of of Christ Jesus. He had a purpose that was so clear, was so definite, it was so profound that it permeated literally everything that he did. And that purpose gave him hope even in the darkest times of life. Our scripture reference this morning is going to be in Philippians chapter 1. And as we read this, go ahead and turn to your Bibles. If not, we'll have it up on the screen behind me. But as you read this, I want you to remember that Paul is writing this letter to the church he loves so much in Philippi. But also understand that he is writing this letter while being shackled inside of a prison cell. Philippians 1, beginning, we will begin with verse 12. We'll go through 12 through 14, and then we'll drop down to verse 19 through 26 and I'm gonna be reading from the New King James Version. Paul writes, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become, become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Down to verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. Verse 23, for I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again." This text that we just read could easily be considered Paul's secret of success or Paul's purpose of life, because it reveals the driving sense of values that kept him on course, even while he was sitting in a Roman jail. If you want Paul's secret to success, it's in one sentence found in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And this is the scripture, I told you we'd like to pull out a scripture every week in this study for you to memorize. This is the scripture that I want you to memorize as we break it down today. But before we move ahead, I I wanna ask you a very important question. How would you complete the following sentence. For me to live is blank. What word or what phrase would you use to fill in that blank? What is your highest source of pleasure? What is it in life that fulfills you and satisfies you? What is the one thing that when you experience it, you say, this is what life is all about for me. I love this more than anything else. What gets you out of bed in the morning? What is it that turns your crank? What motivates you to work hard all day long and then collapse on your pillow at night feeling fulfilled? Well, if your name is LeBron James, the blank is probably filled with winning another NBA championship in a desperate attempt to be considered the greatest of all time. If you are Elon Musk, your blank is gonna be to try to get every family to buy a Tesla automobile. If you are Warren Buffett, it's, it's no doubt about wise investments and creating further wealth. But don't miss the point here. No one leaves that sentence blank, no one. Everyone fills that blank with something. And if you don't fill that blank with Christ Jesus, then what is it that you put in there? I want you to imagine that blank representing the peak value in your life. If I asked you to fill that blank with the single most important thing or value or commodity or person or experience, something that represents the driving motivation of your life, what would you fill that blank with? As you're thinking about that, let me just say a couple things about the blank. First, it's very important that you identify what fills that blank because whatever it is, is going to affect every part of your life. Secondly, whatever it is that fills that blank is driving your life already to some degree. And yet most people don't think about this very often, at least in a a conscious level. There was a Christian man that I knew in Phoenix. He had worked very hard to build several businesses and over the course of 20 years or so, And he had been quoted as saying, I've got several million dollars saved up, and if I can just double that by the time I'm 50 years old, I'll be all set. Now, there's nothing wrong with establishing financial goals. There's nothing wrong with that, but the problem was that that monetary objective of his life ordered every other decision of his life, from how he dressed, to who he played golf with, to where he vacationed, It also ordered how involved or uninvolved he was gonna be at his church, or how vocal or unvocal he was gonna be regarding his faith in the Lord. Every major decision of his life revolved around his attempt to reach that monetary goal that he had set for himself. So let me ask you, if he were here today, what do you think would fill the blank for that Christian man? Would it be Jesus Christ? or would it be the $5 million that he's shooting for in 20 years? It's pretty obvious that that one of them orders his life a lot more than the other. Other Christians I know, they, they live their lives around their vocation or their career. Certainly we'd hate to admit that our job holds a higher priority in our lives than Jesus Christ does, but I would challenge some of you this morning I challenge you by your schedule, by your allegiances, by by your ultimate loyalties, and the amount of enthusiasm that you put into those careers. I challenge some of you to ask the hard question, does my job fill that blank for me? Does my job have a more ordering effect on my life than my relationship with Jesus does? Some Christians live their life around sports. You know, the, you know the, the men I'm talking about. There's an activity going on mostly every night of the week. They play in every sporting league imaginable. And when they're not playing, they're watching ESPN 24-7. And when the NFL starts on Sunday mornings, you won't find them here because they're sitting at home watching the pregame and the early games because church gets in the way of that because they have totally ordered their life around sports. Other Christians I know, they live their lives ordered around the search for a mate, or wearing the right fashion, or obtaining fame, or status, or, or comfort of some kind. My point is simple. All of us have something that fills that blank for us, and whatever it is is having a, a greater effect on your life than you can, even, you can even grasp. Do you know what it is that fills that blank in your life? Well, we know what filled the Apostles Paul's blank, and it was Jesus. And today we are going to see what a fully devoted follower of Christ Jesus really looks and acts like. We're gonna see someone who had Christ in the ultimate place of priority and function. And I think we're all gonna be challenged this morning because what Paul filled his blank with is deep down what every Christian wishes they had, the integrity and the courage to fill theirs with. Simply put, Paul had Jesus Christ in that position of ultimate priority. If there were a mission statement that was attached to what filled Paul's blank, it would read like this, to glorify Christ, whether through my life, my suffering, or my death. I just want Christ to be glorified and for his cause to be advanced. That's it. And as I said before, Whatever it is that fills your blank will inevitably order the way you negotiate life. And we're going to see how Paul negotiated his life through his actions. Now, I want you to remember, as I said, Paul is writing from a prison cell in Rome, kind of a common occurrence for the apostle. And we learn from history that, that Paul wasn't just in prison, but he was also chained to a praetorian guard 24 hours a day. Praetorian guards were the elite group of soldiers of that day, and they would guard over the more celebrated uh, inmates of which Paul was. Paul is on trial for his life here, and he certainly does not know if he will ever be set free. But he makes very clear that what landed him in prison has actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul realizes I can achieve my highest aspiration. I can achieve my my life's objective to glorify Christ and to, to advance his cause right here in jail and in these chains. I can, and it's happening now. And I'm glad it's happening. That's his mindset. You see, this world in which we live in we have have narrowed people down by calling them either winners or losers. And sadly, in American society, the criteria that is used, which is unfair, is always about money. It's always about financial success. While the truth is that, that a winning person is a person with a positive, noble philosophy towards life, while a loser is a person with an unworthy purpose or absolutely no purpose at all. So which are you? I'm not talking about financially, I'm talking about the other thing I said, are you a winner or a loser? Our scripture reference today contains a winner's philosophy. And as we go through this, I challenge you to compare your philosophy of life with the apostle Paul's and see if they stack up together. Now, while reading our text today, A very common question that comes to mind is how could Paul be so happy? What's with all this joy? After all, he's in a Roman jail cell. Actually, it's more like a dungeon. And he's awaiting trial before Caesar. And he didn't know what was going to happen next. Yet he still says, I will continue to rejoice. Perhaps you read verse 19 and you see the phrase Paul uses about my deliverance. It means that he expects, he, it doesn't mean, excuse me, you would think he was meaning that it would be talking about his release. But that's not what he means at all. He's not thinking about getting out of jail, but instead of God vindicating him, whether in chains or as a free man. The, the Living Bible offers help, uh, helpful, this helpful paraphrase when he says, this is all gonna turn out for my good. Paul says that he is depending on two things. First, he's depending on the prayers of his friends. And secondly, he's depending on the work of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 20 is where we learn the content of his prayer. First, that he might never do anything that would bring him shame. Secondly, that he might never, excuse me, that he might never lose his courage. And thirdly, that he might always magnify Christ Jesus. Note that last phrase in verse 20, whether by life or by death. Here's the key to Paul's amazing success. Paul wasn't afraid to die. Can you say the same thing about yourself this morning? So many of us worry about the future and what might happen to us after some accident or or through cancer or through some other dreaded disease but out of all the fears that grip the heart of modern man, none is greater than the fear of death. Yet somehow, Paul has been completely delivered from that inner dread over what might happen tomorrow. Because not only does he say, for me to live is Christ, but he follows that up by saying, and to die is gain. Paul has come to the place where he can say, The only thing that matters is that Christ Jesus is magnified in my life. It doesn't matter whether I live or whether I die as long as Christ is magnified. Now, I want you to consider for just a moment the positive results of losing your fear of death. When you can say, I'm not afraid to die, you are free to focus on things in life that really matter. You become indifferent to your own personal fate, and you become utterly consumed with doing the will of God. I wonder if any of you recognize these names I'm going to call out. Nate Saint, Roger Yoderin, Ed McCauley, Peter Fleming, Jim Elliott. In 1955, these five young men, all under the age of 35 years, gathered in Ecuador with the vision of reaching a tribe of Indians called the Aucas Indians. The name Aucas meant savage, and it was a name that was given to them by the other Indians who lived deep in the rainforest. No one had ever presented the gospel message to this tribe. And these five missionaries, all highly trained and deeply devoted to God, they began to pray about ways that they could make contact with this tribe. And in September of 1955, they began flying over the Aucca village, lowering a pot containing gifts for the Indians. Eventually, the Auccas took the gifts and they replaced them with simple gifts of their own. In January 1956, the five men decided the time had come to make contact with the Auccas in person. And after much prayer, they established a base camp on a sandy beach of the Carrere River. Then, on January 8th, 1956, at about 3.30 p.m., they were speared to death by the Indians who mistakenly thought they had come to hurt them. This news shocked the world, and many people wondered why men with such great promise could waste their lives in that way. But when the journals of Jim Elliott were published several years later, it contained these words. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I believe that the apostle Paul would agree wholeheartedly with that statement. You see, once you decide that your life won't last forever, you are free to invest in a cause that is greater than yourself. You give up what you can't keep so at the end, you can gain what you can never lose. And this is what Paul meant when he said, "Whether by life or by death." because in verse 25, excuse me, 21, what you will find is Paul's confession: "For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain." It's pretty much Paul's personal mission statement. And when you say grasp," and when you, when you, can, when you can grasp this, you begin to understand how Paul could turn the world upside down wherever he went. Consider the phrase for a moment to live as Christ. Have you really considered what that means? F.B. Meyer said that the church is the the essence of our life, the model of our life, the aim of our life, the solace of our life, the reward of our life. You see, church, we live in Christ, for Christ, by Christ, through Christ, and we live from Christ. He is the beginning, He is the middle, He is the end. He is truly the Alpha and the Omega. He is the A through the Z and every letter in between. Here are three statements for you to ponder this morning. One, Christ is life. Two, Christ transforms lives. And three, Christ transcends life. Those are three undeniable uh, facts for you to carry around in your spirit every single day. So as you wonder how Paul didn't just survive, but thrived in a Roman jail, the answer is found in Philippians. He has this mindset, life is wonderful, and it's only gonna get better. Now within that phrase, to die is gain, understand the word gain is is a monetary term. It's a term that, that, that means to have a, have a profit in return for an investment. Instead of, about, instead of complaining about being in jail, he rejoices even while being in chains. He's experienced, even while being in chains, the power of Christ Jesus. And furthermore, when he dies, his current wonderful life, he knows is going to be even better. How could Paul say such things? Because for Paul, death didn't put him in the cemetery. It ushered him in to the sanctuary of God. He knew that, that he would enter into the presence of Christ at the moment of his death, and that would truly be gained for him, it would be gained for anyone. Now I know many people who read Philippians chapter one, and they wonder how death can be a gain for anyone. Well, let me help you a bit if you don't get this. Please understand that through death, we lose everything that we don't need. We lose the world, we lose the flesh, praise God, we lose Satan, we lose our trials, our troubles, our fears, our tears, we lose our weaknesses. While at the same time, we keep everything that matters. We keep our personality. We keep our identity, our knowledge of all that is good. And furthermore, we gain what we never had before. We gain our heavenly home and the saints and the angels and the presence of God and Jesus himself. So as Christians, there is great gain when we die. I heard about a headstone in a cemetery in Alabama that read like this. Under the clover and under the trees, here lies the body of Jonathan Pease, Peas ain't here, only the pod. Peas shelled out and went home to God. (laughs) Now that headstone not only shows me a sense of humor, but it shows me that there's no fear of death in that family. And that family was obviously a Christian family. So let me ask you this morning, do you fear death? You shouldn't if you're a Christian because death is the vehicle that takes us home to God. When I was with Debbie last week, last time I had visited her, I was holding her hand and talking with her, and I said, Debbie, are you afraid? And her answer was the reason I asked the question, because she said, no, pastor, I'm not afraid. Debbie understood that death was the vehicle that was going to take her to her heavenly home and in the presence of the one whom she loved. As I was preparing this week, I came across the most encouraging statement. A Christian is immortal until his work on earth is done. I want you to think about that for a moment. Death cannot touch you until God is through with you, period. You cannot die and you will not die until the appointed moment that God has ordained. And if God is God, you will live as long as the Lord intends for you to live. And then you will go home to heaven. And in that sense, every Christian life is always complete. I know it doesn't look that way when you stand by the grave of a a young person who died before reaching their prime. Truly, the death of the young brings about questions that only God can answer. But this much is true. If a young person dies, having been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, that person has completed the life that God intended for them. What, what seems to be a big mistake to us is no mistake in God's divine plan. Do you remember when Jesus was arrested and he stood before Pontius Pilate? Pilate said in John nineteen ten, do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? In which Jesus replied in John nineteen eleven, you should have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. And of course, a few hours later on the cross, Jesus cried out in John nineteen thirty, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it is finished. Meaning that he had completed the work that God had called him to do. He knew that he could not die and he would not die until God's appointed moment. And in the same way, the apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept my faith. He knew that his death, the time and the place and the circumstances of it were in God's hands. So so let me make two applications based on Philippians 121 for us this morning. There is no such thing as an untimely death for a Christian. It may sometimes seem that way, especially in the death of a younger person, but that's only because we cannot see things from God's perspective. He knows so much that we know nothing of. Secondly, our only task in life is to do God's will until the moment that He takes us to heaven. Since we can't know the future, it is useless, ladies and gentlemen, for us to waste our days worrying about how or where or when we are going to die. That is best for us to leave into God's capable hands. So let's instead of spending our energies on worrying, let's spend our energies on doing the cause of Christ and doing God's will day by day. In verse 22 and 23 of this morning's text, here's where you will find Paul's conflict. But if I live on in the flesh, he says, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart, and to be with Christ, which is far better. Now, some people wanna die because they hate this life, but Paul was ready and willing to die. Why? Because he looked forward to life with Christ in his eternal home. For him, death would be like a ship pulling up its, its anchor and sailing toward a new destination. Paul understood that, that for the Christian, death is nothing more than a change of address and that he would be going to his ultimate home. In the meantime, he was willing to remain if that could make a difference in the lives of other people. It was Henry James who declared, the best use for your life is to invest it in something that will outlast it. Too many people invest their time and their energy into things that won't last two weeks or two years, let alone outlast their life. Remember folks, there's only two things that matter in this life and that lasts forever. And one is the word of God and the other is people. Those are the only two things that are going to last forever. Everything else vanishes away. So if you want your life to count, then build it around those two things. In verse 24 through 26, you're gonna find Paul's conviction. He says, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I, sh- I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. In the end, Paul concluded that he wouldn't just die yet, but he would be spared, spared so that he could minister once again to the church he loved in Philippi. Even though he preferred to die, and he could see Christ, he put aside his own personal preferences for the good of others. Here are three positive benefits that Paul experienced by his own death being postponed. First of all, he would experience Christ in his own life, verse 21. Number two, he would have fruitful labor to perform, verse 22, and he could help the Philippians to grow spiritually in verses 24 through 26. Paul is saying, I cannot lose either way. If I die, the gain is for me. If I live, the gain is for you. But wait, it's also a gain for me because I'm living for the Lord Jesus Christ. How in the world do you stop a man like that? The point is you can. Go ahead and kill him. He'll die with a smile on his face. You, you, you put him in prison, and he's going to sing. He's going to preach to the guards that are attached to him. You put him in jail at midnight, and he's going to sing praises to the Lord God Almighty, and another earthquake may come and free him. You run him out of town, and he's just going to go to the next village, and he's going to start another church, because that's what God called him to do. It's just his mindset. It's just his optimistic attitude. I once read about an elderly man who was asked this question, how do you maintain such an optimistic optimistic attitude? And his reply was, I figure as long as I'm on the right side of the grass, I've got nothing to complain about. That's true, but it's not complete because for for Paul, either side was okay. If he was above the grass, he would be ministering to many people. If he was below the grass, he'd be in heaven with Jesus. Either way, it was gonna be a great deal for him. And that brings me back to those five young men who gave their lives, reaching the Akka Indians in 1955. Like most tragedies that that completely stagger friends and family, at the time this happened, it appeared this tragedy had no redeeming purpose. But let me explain to you what has happened since that time. Within a few years, over 1,000 new missionaries went into the field as a result of these men's martyrdom. Soon the Indian Bible schools in Ecuador were filled to overflowing with native believers who were desiring to study and learn the word of God and to build churches in their part of the world. The widows of of Nate Saint and Jim Elliott, Rachel Saint and Elizabeth Elliott moved into the Aka village to begin the process of Bible translation. Nine years later, Two of the AUKUS who helped kill the missionaries had come to a relationship with Jesus Christ and they were baptized by none other than Kathy and Steve Saint, the daughter and son of one of the men they killed, Nate Saint. A flourishing church, yes, that's good stuff. A flourishing church was established among the AUKUS and other neighboring tribes. In 1995, Steve Saint moved back among the AUKUS to live with them at their request, and the story goes on and on and on. This is no doubt a part of the fruit that Paul speaks about in our text. Truly, as it has been said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Those men had no idea of the thousands of lives that would be touched by their death on that sandy beach in a remote jungle. They only knew that God had called them to minister to the Aukis tribe, and they knew that they had to obey. So let's suppose that we could speak to those gentlemen today and ask them, was it worth it? What do you think they would say? I think I know the answer. And I think it's the same answer that the apostle Paul would give. Our only desire was to magnify Christ and to, to, to reach the world for him. Whether we do it by life or by death, it made no difference to us. And let me just say, if Christ is the cause that fills your blank, then you can experience any of life's circumstances. You can experience the peaks and the valleys. You can experience the tragedies. You can experience the plain and and, and the mundane and still achieve your life objective. However, if your blank is filled with comfort, if it's filled with pleasure, if it's filled with nothing but business or a romantic interest, whatever it is, and as I said earlier, you, you can fill that blank with something else. But if you do, when you suffer a setback, or when you suffer a loss of some kind, a defeat or some kind of a, of a complication, it will turn over your apple cart and, and, and it will ultimately ruin your life goal, which is why so many people, even those who profess to be Christians are walking around in anger and in self-pity, saying, woe is me. My life is in shambles. Why me, Lord? They just don't understand that as long as anyone or anything or any experience other than Christ and His cause fills that blank of their life, they are susceptible to enormous heartbreak and living on a roller coaster kind of a life. Because God never gave you a promise that you were going to be able to achieve anything objective in this life, any objective in this life higher than putting Him in the blank of your life. As I was preparing this week, I was reminded of my late sister, Barbara, who died young after a long battle with cancer. And this scripture in Philippians could have been her life theme. In fact, I was able to share that scripture in Philippians at her funeral. Because Barb had come to the point of realizing that life was really, really short. And she could have a great life on either side of the grass. So she lived her days to encourage other people. She lived her days to lift people up with the message of Jesus Christ. She was a prayer warrior. If you asked her to pray about something, I know that she would pray, she always would. She loved to share the truth of the word of God with others. But most of all, she loved it whenever she heard someone got saved. And as I watched how Barb lived her life, both before her sickness, but especially after she got sick and through the conversations that we had As she got closer to death, it was indeed a great motivation for me personally. And I realized how much her experience, as well as others who loved and served the Lord, and whose life, the blank in life was filled with Jesus. When I I see how they live, what it does is it, it fires me up. It fires me up to continue to preach the good news of Jesus Christ because of their tenacity. Paul is saying here to us today if if my loss or pain or imprisonment fire somebody else up to go out and advance the cause of Jesus Christ then put me in chains and keep me in bonds because the most important thing is that Christ be glorified in my life either through life or through my death. You see life always throws curveballs at us. Am I right? Things don't always turn out like we planned. There are times when we find ourselves in situations we didn't ask for and we certainly didn't want. I'd like to share a great poem with you that I will help bring perspective. However, I don't know who wrote it. I don't know who to give credit to. It says, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn how to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life so I could enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered, and I am among all most richly blessed. Listen, I don't know how death will occur for you or me or what it will be like. But the point is, you can never say, to die is gain, unless you can also say, for me to live is Christ. You can't say, for me to live is Christ and not be sure that to die is gain. It always comes back to Jesus, doesn't it? So if you are afraid to die, perhaps it's because you don't know Jesus. And if you do know Jesus, here's how you should face death. Not with defiance, not in desperation, but with a simple childlike trust. When we see the time of death arrive, put your hand into God's hand and let him escort you home. Death, it's it's a narrow passageway between this life and the next. It's not the end of the road. It is the beginning of eternity. And our sister Debbie is experiencing the beginnings of that eternity in her right now. In eternity, to quote a famous musician, eternity is a mighty long time. When you compare eternity to the amount of time you have on this earth, ladies and gentlemen, there is no comparison. I want you to look at what it says in James four fourteen. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Or Psalm 103, 15, as for man, his days are like grass. As a flower in the field, so he flourishes, for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. This scripture makes clear that life on this earth is fast and it is fleeting. It seemed like just the other day I was 21 years of age. I don't know where all that time went but it went fast. And yet, because it is the only reality that we know, this, is, this consciousness is, is really all we know, we put all of our stock into the here and now, completely forgetting about what follows, and that is eternity. Most people who think about death or dying are like little children running down a, a frightening passageway with their eyes filled with fear but if only we could see that Jesus was standing over us like a a mother, watching her children, learning how to walk, we'd realize that just one more step and we'll be there and we'll be safe in the arms of the Lord forever. So the application for us today is quite simple. Do what God gives you to do today. Trust God with tomorrow and death, well, when that comes, it'll be a great gain for you. When it's all said and done, there are only two philosophies of life. You can either say with the Apostle Paul, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, or you can say what the world laments over, for me to live is self and to die is great loss. Which will it be for you? Liz, will you come forward and help me to Close this down. This message today is for every one of us in this room because it asks the question, for me to live is blank. And as you've thought about your answer to that question this morning, some have come to realize that it isn't Jesus. It's something much different. And you know in your heart of hearts that if Christ were to return right at this moment, you're not absolutely sure that you are ready to meet him. You've put so much effort, so much blood and sweat and tears into things other than God that he is basically only getting your leftovers. And because of your relentless schedule and your your commitments and your obligations, that ain't much at all. And in some cases, one and a half hours on a Sunday morning is all that he gets from you. But even in that time, your mind is wandering. You're thinking about those other things that are higher on the priority list than God. You're wondering what you're gonna do when you get out of here, what you've got to do this week on the job, what you've got to follow up with. You're not even here present. You're present physically, but you're not here mentally and emotionally and spiritually. Can I tell you that I lived life like that for far too long? And it wasn't until I decided that I was gonna give God my very best that, that, that that's when my life started to be transformed and now I do not fear death. I don't worry about death because truly as long as I'm here on this planet sucking air, I want to live the kind of life that is going to honor Jesus. But when I die, whenever and however that happens, I will receive my eternal reward in God's presence and that is what drives me. Now, that, does that mean I don't care about other things? Absolutely not. I've got many things I care about, but, but, but all the things that I try to do, I, I do my best to do it with the intention of pleasing my heavenly father. Because I know that if my life pleases him and I do all things with that motivation behind them, that I will be a success at whatever it is that I set out to do. Whether you perceive it as success or not, it is a success for me. And therefore I can live with a certain kind of a peace without fear, without doubt, knowing that whenever my time is up, whether through death or whether through Jesus' arrival to come and get us, that I'll be with him. Do you have that assurance today? If not, you can leave here today having it. I wanna ask all of you to bow your heads. I don't want anyone looking around. I don't want you looking at me. I want you looking down in your head in a bowed position, and I want you to do nothing but be thinking about Jesus. I want to give you all a chance to respond to perhaps what God has challenged you with today. Perhaps he has shown you that some things or commitments that you have in your life, you need to delete, because they consume so much of your time that they are keeping you away from a relationship with the Lord. Maybe he has shown you that you fear death way too much because you're not sure of your eternal future. Maybe he has shown you that you could be doing more with your faith than you currently are. You're hiding your light from other people when Jesus wants you to shine. Whatever it is, I wanna give everyone in this place an opportunity to reconcile your thoughts to what the Lord has challenged you with this morning. I wanna first lead you in a prayer called the prayer of salvation. If you don't know Jesus as Lord this morning and you pray this prayer with sincerity of heart, you will be saved, you will receive salvation. And then when I'm done with that prayer, I'm gonna pray a prayer over all of you that you will seek to fill that blank with Jesus, that he will become the main thing in your life. So, to encourage those this morning who desperately need to pray this prayer of salvation, I want all of you to join me by repeating these words that I say loud and strong to encourage those who desperately need to pray this. Repeat after me Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the only name where salvation comes. I realize my need for a Savior, so today I receive you as Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, cleanse me of all unrighteousness, fill me with your Spirit, walk this journey of life with me, and fill my blank with Christ. Today I become your child and you become my lord and i will live my life in a way that honors you for the sacrifice you made for me in jesus name amen now i want to pray for all of you bow your heads keep your heads bowed and pray along with me father thank you i'm praying deep for you now father thank you for your word I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the powerful example that the apostle Paul sets for us on how to live our lives. It was apparent that he filled his blank with you. And Father, my desire for my entire church family is that we too would do the same. That when we say, for me to live, it is Christ. And for us to die is gain because you can't have one without the other. Father, my prayer is that everyone here today, and within the sound of my voice, would place you in that place of highest priority above all other things. That they would live for Christ, that they would live to share your goodness with others. They would let their light shine to those around them who do not know you. And when the time comes, Lord, for them to pass into eternity, that they will be prepared and ready and looking forward to it because they know it's not the end, but it's just the beginning. God, would you recalibrate our minds to understand that life is not this 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years that we have here on this earth. Life is eternity. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, we live eternally. Our bodies give way, but our spirit continues to live in the presence of God. Father, make that the most important driving force in all of our lives. No matter what we do for a living, no matter what we we do outside of this place, let it always be bathed in our love for you and our intention to live a life that honors and glorifies what you did for us. So as we go our separate ways today, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct our steps, the places we go, the things that we do, the conversations that we have, And that those conversations would build people up and not tear them down. I pray that we would be bright lights in a very dark world. And and that brightness, Father, would be your love that comes shining through and oozing out of us to others. So much so that people would come up to us and say, what is it that's different about you? And you open that door for us to share your goodness with them. And Father, I pray that during this next week, you would provide a a God-ordained moment for each one of us to share your goodness with someone else, to invite them to church with us, to tell them about Jesus and about his goodness. Father, let us not be afraid of those moments, but walk through that door boldly and trust in your spirit to give us the things to say. Father, I pray until we gather together again, you would keep us safe from accidents, from sickness, from disease. And Father, that we would leave here basking in your love and that that love would drive everything that we do. I thank you for this time together. I thank you for the presence of your spirit in this place. I thank you for the word of God that never lies. Pray that you'll bless my church family. In Jesus name I ask, amen and amen. Thank you for being here today.